This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's and the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Bibles, if you could turn to Acts chapter 7 for me. He knocked on the door with a great loud knock. Little pig, little pig, let me come in. And the voice inside the house said, this isn't in your Bibles by the way, (laughs) but it would be good if it was. And the voice inside replied, no, 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 not by the hairs of my chinny, chin, chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in, said the wolf. And that's what he did. He huffed and he puffed and he blew the house in and the first little pig was gobbled up. We know how the rest of the story goes. Poor pig number two suffers the same fate, doesn't he? And he's gobbled up. But good old wise pig number three, he was safe. He was safe and sound in his house of bricks. The other two, they built a house of straw and a house of sticks. And it didn't stand much of a chance when that big scary wolf came prowling around and he blew their houses in. I always wondered as a child what exactly the moral of that story really was. Aside, I suppose, from some good sound building advice to protect me from talking wolves um, that go around huffing and puffing at my house, I was always a little bit like, hmm, I'm not sure about this story. It never seemed that that would happen. Let's hope it doesn't, eh? <laughs> I ate home and some wolves there. But perhaps there is a deeper moral to that story. Perhaps it's very deep, actually. Perhaps we could ask ourselves, actually, what are we building in our lives? What are we building? Will it last? Will it stand up against the trials and the struggles of this life? Are we building something solid with a building material that will last? Because only the house that was made of bricks stayed standing. Only the house that was made of strong stuff. It's great, isn't it, how God's moved this morning just to be talking already to us about what are we building. One of the things I love to do, as often as I can, is to go around sitting in empty churches. I don't know if you do this as well. You might like to do this. But I like going into old buildings, into the church building, and I just, I love the atmosphere in an empty church. It's so peaceful, it's so calm, it's so still and quiet, and and I love it, I love doing that, and it's just a moment where I feel 
oh, can breathe, connect with God, pray. And I go to one particular church a lot more regularly because it's really near me so I can just walk to it and I will go and sit there sometimes. And recently I was sat there in, during the 40 days of prayer and fasting and for some reason at this particular time, um, which hadn't really happened before, but I was moved, and I think I might have shared this at one of the prayer meetings, but I was moved by the building itself that I was sat in. And uh, I just looked up at the vast amount of space that was a- a- above my head and-, and just looked up at the beautiful building and the stained glass windows and it kind of took my breath away because some of these buildings are just so beautiful, aren't they? They're just so spectacular. And as I looked at this building, I felt a question come to me, a question from my spirit, I guess, from God. And it was this, what kind of house will you build for me? What kind of house will you build? And it was a God moment, and I'd been there praying for us. I'd been there praying for us as a church, as a community. And this question, what kind of house will you build? me and my mind started to think about all the time all the effort all the hard work all the energy that had gone into to building this spectacular church and all the different churches around these you know the cathedrals and how much time and energy and effort had been put into building these spectacular places but of course that misses the point it's great to have lovely buildings but it's no longer is it about honoring god with bricks and mortar but it's about honouring God with our hearts and it's about honouring God with our lives and it's about what we're going to build in our life because the church the house is not the building but it's us as the body of Christ and that question what kind of house will you build for me is found in Acts chapter 7 which I didn't know then when that question came but I found out later. And I was challenged to think about what kind of house will we build here at Delancey? And what kind of house are we individually in our own lives building today? There's been much controversy, hasn't there, recently um, over the Notre Dame building, the restoration of it, and people are getting all het up, aren't they? Getting their knickers in a knot. I'm not sure I can say that, but anyway. <laughs> they, they are about, you know, what's going on about, you know, the donations and the church is getting accused of, you know, giving too much money to, to this and not to the poor. And, that, and actually, it's, it's little to do with what the church really wants. It's more to do with just restoring a great place of interest, a place that is a, a heritage, a historical value. It just happens to be a cathedral, but... And I think that's a good thing. But it doesn't need to be restored, does it, for the church's sake? Because no longer are we about God dwelling in a building. No longer are we about God dwelling in some sort of sacred place. That was gotten rid of in biblical times. Somehow, it carries on today. We do hear that happen. But actually, it's not about God in a building. It's about God in our lives. It's about God dwelling in us. We are the temple now that God dwells in. And that's what it is. What kind of house are you going to build for me? What kind of life are we individually going to build for God to dwell within? 
and it came from Acts 7. So let's have a look at this, verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favour in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Let's stop there. What's going on then in this passage in Acts chapter 7? Well, what we read previously in Acts 6 is that Stephen, who's actually speaking here in Acts 7, Stephen, he was one of the first deacons, and it says in chapter 6 that he was performing great signs and great wonders among the people. He was passionate. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was speaking about it and he was telling people about Jesus and it caused great opposition for him. People didn't like it. And he'd spoken openly about Jesus in Solomon's portico, which is like the porch in the outer court of the temple. He'd been standing in that place and he'd been speaking about Jesus and um, he was falsely accused of blasphemy. They accused him of blasphemy against God, against Moses, against the law and against the temple itself. So here in Acts 7, he addresses the people And we've just read the kind of conclusion bit of Stephen's defence against the charges that are being made against him, against this idea that he's blaspheming. And it's just after this account that actually we read on further and we see that Stephen becomes the first martyr for the faith. He's stoned to death for what he was saying and what he believed in, but he was fearless. But because he had to defend himself against these charges, because they'd said that he'd blasphemed the temple, because he had to do that, what we see in the passage that I just read is a scriptural account of the the tent being set up in the wilderness, the history of that right up into the present day. What we see Stephen doing is saying about God and where God was dwelling right from the beginning in the tabernacle in the wilderness to the present day which isn't now in the temple building. And I want to unpack that a little bit more this morning, thinking about where God has brought his presence and where God has dwelt among his people from the beginning right up until today. And we start, although Stephen didn't say this, we start with the Garden of Eden. That's where we start. Actually, from the very outset of creation, what we've got is a God who always, always wants to dwell with his people. We've got a God who always wants to relate to his people and connect with his people. Right from the word go, through biblical history, we've got a God who is trying to push in and see and meet his people. And we know that from bringing his presence into these places and from making covenants with his people, right from uh, you know, Abraham and Moses and David and Noah. 
We've got a God that wants to be with us. That's quite exciting, isn't it? I'm excited. So we have Eden, the Garden of Eden. That's like the first temple. That's what scholars call the first temple. We've got a place where God's presence dwells in a very special kind of way so that his people can be with him, so his people can worship him. And that is precisely the function of the sanctuary, the function of the temple as we go through. It's like Eden is the tabernacle before the tabernacle. So we've got the Garden of Eden, God dwelling with his people. Then we've got the tabernacle. And we're in the wilderness. Moses has has, has led the Israelites out of slavery. They've come out of Egypt. They're now in the wilderness, roaming around, waiting to get to the promised land. And it's in the wilderness that the tabernacle is set up. Okay, Stephen in the passage in Acts says this, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. So God encounters his people through this dwelling place, through the setting up of the tabernacle. And God wants his people to experience his presence. Now, if you've ever tried to wade your way through, you know, the reading of the temple, it's quite a long thing, isn't it? In Exodus and Leviticus, you've got all these different things going on about the setting up of the tabernacle. And God gives like really, really precise instructions of what he wants and how he wants it to be set up. And we're not going to go into loads of detail, but there's instructions about the courtyard, about the altar, about the bronze basin, about where the Ark of the Covenant should go. There's different um, elements such as the table, the lampstand, the anointing oil. There's the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. There's the offerings that need to be made. All these different requirements that God gives to the people of how he wants the tabernacle to be set up. He talks about the priestly garments, what people should wear. It's fascinating. You know, it is quite hard to read at times, but it's quite fascinating. And they have these different offerings. They have the offering, um, they have the idea of coming in repentance, they they have the idea of coming to be cleansed, they have the idea of offering and giving a sacrifice, and that sacrifice that they give has to be acceptable and it has to be pleasing to God. And there was the Holy of Holies where only the priest could enter um, once a year on the Day of Atonement with Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish festival that they celebrate still, where that time where the priest could go in and meet with God and speak to God on behalf of the people. But God explicitly commands the Israelites to set this temple up and construct it in such a particular way. And he initiates it and he demands and expects total obedience to what he said. He says, this is it. This is the plan. This is the pattern. This is what I want you to do. Right down to every tiny little detail. And he empowers the men, he empowers the people to have the skill to be able to build that tabernacle and set it up. Each element and each action carried out in that place is meant so that it could permit and promote a relationship between God and his people. That's what God wanted. That's why it was so important to God that this would be set up just so because he wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to bring his presence to them. So we have Eden and we have the tabernacle 
And then once the tabernacle's gone and they make it into the promised land, we have the temple being set up, yeah? And the tabernacle goes. Stephen says in the passage we read, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. We know it was King Solomon that built the temple in the 10th century BC, before Christ. So this stationary temple was set up to replace the tabernacle which had not been, you know, which had been set up, taken down, set up, taken down in the wilderness. Now the temple was going to be built and it would be stationary, it would stay there. And it wasn't so much that God was giving instructions on how this temple would be, it was more Solomon, but he did want the temple to be built. God had said, I want this temple to be built. And so Solomon constructed it. And we see in 1 Kings the different specific things that Solomon did to build it. I'm sure if we could see it, it would have been a building that was quite spectacular, a building that was quite magnificent. And I'm sure Solomon put in all these different requirements because he realised that this was going to be the place where God would dwell. And it had to be special. It had to be good. It had to be beautiful. And all the time and effort that went into building this temple. Why? Because God was going to dwell there. Because God was going to bring his presence in that place and meet with his people. Now the temple was destroyed. We know 400 years after it was built, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was rebuilt again 70 years later. And that was the second temple. The second temple we know got torn down 70 years after Jesus died. But we have the Wailing Wall the little remnant of the temple left today. But we had Eden, we had the tabernacle, and we had the temple. And although the destruction of the temple was, of course, a devastation, and it was a devastation, with the coming of Christ, with Jesus coming, Scripture outlines to us and makes it very clear to us that that was the ultimate fulfilment of the promise that God would dwell with his people, wouldn't it? We didn't need the temple because we now had Jesus. And Jesus was that ultimate fulfilment of God dwelling with us. Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, now Jesus. The fullness of God with us. And after Jesus, of course, what do we have? We have ourselves. We, the Christian church, individual lives being called God's temple where God will dwell and Stephen in this passage quotes from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 66 of Isaiah you can look it up at some point but that's what he's quoting from in in Acts and he gives his audience a warning he's warning them about the temple he says God does not dwell in man-made houses verse 48 doesn't dwell in man-made houses God's people were never supposed to think that the presence was limited to the building, that the presence would be limited to being in that temple or the tabernacle. And in verse 48, it comes actually from Solomon himself, because when Solomon built the temple, he said, you know, it's not going to hold him, it's not going to hold God. So Stephen is basically trying to say to his crowd and audience, look, I'm not blaspheming the temple here, I'm saying that God is bigger, far bigger than the temple. And Solomon said it himself, way, way back. So don't accuse me of blaspheming. That's, that's what Stephen's sort of trying to say to them. And you see, what really matters now, what really matters for us today, is about making a place that will honour God with our lives. 
because we are the building. We are the house. And it lies with us. God has always wanted to connect with his people. He's always wanted to dwell with his people, right from Eden to the tabernacle, from the tabernacle to the temple, from the temple to Jesus and from Jesus to us today. It's the most awesome, most precious, wonderful thing that God would dwell in our hearts and God would come and dwell in our lives. Actually, I find that quite mind-blowing. I find that quite a humbling thought to think that God wants to reside in me, the king of the universe, who gave all those massive amount of precision and detail to the construction of the tabernacle. All those requirements about what he wanted because his presence was going to dwell there. He's now saying, actually, your life, my life, is where he wants to dwell. That's amazing. It can only happen, of course, because of Jesus. It can only happen because Jesus makes us holy. Because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has taken those many, many layers of the separation between us and God. He's removed them. He's taken them away. He's taken the courtyard and the altar and the Holy of Holies and all of that. It's been removed. It's gotten rid of so that we can have access to the very presence of God. But you know what? With that amazing level of privilege has to come the utmost responsibility for ourselves as we're looking at our own lives and what we're building. Because Peter quotes from Leviticus, he says this, he says, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy, says God. It's a challenge to us to realise that the the privilege we now have of having Christ, of God dwelling in his fullness in us, means we are led, are called, sorry, to lead a certain type of life. And we're called to build a certain type of life. What kind of house will you build for me, says God? What kind of house will you build for me? It's a challenging question. When I think of the care and I think of the precision of the tabernacle, I wonder how much care and effort am I putting into my life, into building my life so it is a place that God would want to dwell in. Would God be pleased to dwell inside of me? Is my heart right? Am I as Moses did, creating a space for God, which Stephen said, according to the pattern that he had seen. Am I doing that? What is the set pattern for us to build our lives on? For God's dwelling place today, what is the pattern? Well, I think it's cross-shaped. I think that's the pattern that we're to build on. It should be stamped on our hearts, It should be running through our veins. It should be everything that we are. It's the way of the cross and it's the way of grace. It's the way of love. It's the way of mercy. Is that what I'm building? Is that what I'm building in my life? Is that what I'm building on? The foundation of the cross? Is my life looking like a life of, of love, of acceptance, of grace? What kind of house 
Will you build for me? Says God. If you think about the type of home that a parent will build for their child, if they're doing a good job, then they'll build a home, they'll build a house, won't they, of security, they'll build an environment of love, of acceptance, of stability, of reassurance, peace, care, all those different things. That's what a parent would want to build for a child. I remember growing up, distant memory, I remember growing up and my home was one of complete happiness. I've got to say, I had a very wonderful upbringing and I was in an environment where my parents told me that they loved me all the time. I was in an environment where they repeatedly allowed me to be my own person, much to their despair at times, I'm sure, but they did. I was in a home where I was continually praised, told that, you know, my parents were proud of me and and that they loved me. They created an atmosphere for me to flourish and thrive and, and I'm so thankful for that, that I've had that. And they still do. That's still the home that I'm a part of. I know not all homes are like that, but that's the ideal, isn't it? That's what you wish for people when they are in their home, in their family, that they would dwell in that environment where they could flourish and thrive. They'd want to be there because they would enjoy it. How much more time and effort should we put into building a dwelling place for our Lord and our Saviour? What does our life look like today? What does our building, our house look like What are we doing in our life to make sure that this is a place that God can dwell? Are we building something of beauty? You know, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And in chapter 6 it says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? You are not your own. I have to remind myself that on a daily basis. Perhaps actually hourly, even sometimes by the minute. I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I'm God's. And God has said he wants to dwell in me that his spirit is going to come and dwell in me, that his presence will be in me. Therefore, I need to create a space that God can dwell in. Am I creating a thing of beauty? Are we building cleansing, repentance and offering into our lives? It's no longer about buildings as much as we love our building and despair at times. But it's not about buildings not about sacred spaces. Everything is sacred now because God's everywhere and God dwells in us. I remember once chatting to a Christian friend um, about church buildings being taken over and, and renovated and converted into apartments. We were just chatting about it and I was, I was just saying how much I'd love to live in a converted church apartment. <laughs> um, because I just think it would look, it'd be lovely because, you know, all the windows are gorgeous and the, and the architecture and everything. And I just think, oh, yeah, I'd love to live in a, in a converted church apartment. And my friend said to me, oh, I'd hate that. 
I'd really hate living in, in a church building because it'd be like, well, it'd be like God's watching you all the time. <laughs> they were a Christian. Like, I get it if you're not, but... I didn't, I didn't say anything, but I thought, how ridiculous. How ridiculous is that to think that somehow a building or a sacred space, you know, if we can't say or we can't do or we can't think or watch or whatever in, in a building because we think it's sacred, then we can't do it outside the building, yeah? God's everywhere. <laughs> or just do it in the building. <laughs> God's everywhere. And he dwells in us. My heart is the house that God is dwelling. We can't build it alone. And we don't have to, because we've got Christ, haven't we? Christ has made the way. And just as God empowered the workers for the skill to build the tabernacle, so God will empower us and help us to build for him. My heart for Delancey for this house when I heard that question when I was sat in the empty church was that this would be a house of prayer and that this would be a house of grace and mercy and this would be a house of love and acceptance and it would be a house that continues to look outwardly and it would be a house of mission and it would be a house of great generosity a house of worship in spirit and in truth a house of growing discipleship and a house of transformation a house of offering, of repentance, of sacrifice. That would be our house. And we would build that for our God. But we are the house. <laughs> Individually. We make it up. So are we building those things individually into our lives? Is that what we're building? When God says, what will you build for me? What kind of house are you going to build for me? What does our house look like today? What does our life look like? What are we building? Because God wants to dwell in each one of us. Am I building something of beauty? Or am I building wrong habits into my life? Am I building a hardness of heart? Am I building things that I know I shouldn't build into my life? Am I building negativity and bitterness and resentment? What am I building? Or am I building things of goodness and purity? and holiness and love am I building on the cross on the pattern of the cross so much care and time and effort went into the building of the tabernacle and the temple and look how beautiful Eden was and there's me and I think God what am I building I need to take the same care and the same effort and think about God dwelling in me today I want to ask us what kind of house will we build for God to dwell in shall we pray together Father God I thank you that from the very first moment You wanted a relationship with your people. You wanted us to be in your presence, to know you, to talk with you, to be in the fullness of who you are. That's your design. 
And throughout history, you have continually brought your presence amongst your people. You have continually come and dwelt amongst your people so that they would know you more. And I thank you that the fulfilment was in Jesus. And I thank you that today you want to dwell inside us and that your presence is accessible to us all the time because you made a way. You made a way through your son Jesus. And I thank you for that. But God, with that privilege, we are aware there is a responsibility. And we take seriously the responsibility this morning to ask ourselves, what are we building? What are we building into our lives to make sure it's solid, to make sure it's strong, to make sure that it honours you and that it glorifies you and that it is the way of the cross. God, we want to give our lives to you again this morning and say, God, would you help us to build for you a life that honours your name and that people can see your beauty through all that we are and all that we do, all that we say and all that we think. God, I thank you that you empower us, that you enable us through your son Jesus. God, we want to individually build houses for your presence so that corporately, we as a church will be a house that lifts up your name and glorifies you and is a place where people know there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is love, there is acceptance because we're cross-shaped. We thank you, Jesus. We're going to come to a time of communion and I purposely save this to the end. And as we take communion, I'm going to play a song. It will come up on the screen. It's an old hymn, but it's kind of been modernised. It says, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take all that I am, everything that I am, and let it be yours. For I'm not my own. I'm yours. So I want to invite the service to come up and we'll just have this time, this moment of communion together. (coughs) Father God, we thank you for the communion table, Lord. We thank you for what it means to us. That it does indeed mean that we have full access to your presence. Because Jesus removed the barriers. He took away the consecrated places of the temple and the tabernacle and he made a way for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you made a way. And we thank you that we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven, we can find grace, love and mercy here at the table today. And we can celebrate that you have conquered death and that you are above all things. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
as you eat this, as you take this bread, do so in remembrance of me. free download from Delance Healing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.